to the Coffee House Theater Company podcast. There you go. You're legend. so good. I am. Um, I feel a little bit. So the last episode that you guys have listened to, we actually recorded this morning, and now we're back, and I feel a lot better <laughs> than than earlier. So, but I I'm Are still tired. Are you sharing your news yet or no? No. Okay, sorry, so you still <laughs> need to slide into our DMs if you can guess what the news is. Maybe in two more weeks, three, maybe never. <laughs> maybe never. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. So, uh, I know this is called the Coffee House Theater Company Podcast. However, there is no coffee today. <laughs> I am so sorry. We were gonna go, but then we're both like, I really just do not want to drink coffee right now. Like, it does not sound good. So instead, we came home, <laughs> and we sat on Aaron's bed and read really bad Wattpad One Direction. Oh, my God. <laughs> we spent so much time. They're so funny, We spent, like, though. an hour and a half just laughing because they're so funny. <laughs> I'm trying to remember some of the funny things. The Russian army came... There was one story that had, like, ISIS and the Russian <laughs> army and jewel pods in it. Uh, something like... I was sold to One Direction for oh, a singular yeah. mango jewel <laughs> My uh, blue aqu- aquamarine eyes. The ones that tur- turned violet <laughs> when I was anxious. Yeah, they're just... So, these fan fictions are just so outrageous, but they're so funny. They were hilarious. I'm going to keep reading them. Like, if you ever get sad, download the app. Oh my god, yeah. Wattpad. And then look up One Direction fan fiction, and then, like, kidnapped or sold. And you'll, you're gonna get these really bad fan fictions. I'm sorry if any of you have written fan fictions of One Direction. <laughs> <laughs> May, maybe yours is good. Sorry. It's okay. Maybe yours is good, but, um, most of them <laughs> Some are great. Some of them are just... Oh. That was a wall. Oh. Um. That one, the first one, they were just writing it to make fun of the fan fictions in general. At first, I didn't know, and then I, as they were reading it, I was like, "This is way too specific." <laughs> <laughs> it was so weird. After ISIS had kidnapped us, <laughs> like ISIS is gonna the guy from I, the ISIS man Wanted was, me go- to le- was no my- gonna waterboard me. Oh yeah, I love waterboarding. <laughs> Like this is and the a girls, form of torture. The girl's dad was the head of ISIS and Oxen. wanted her Oxen and wanted her to run ISIS's Twitter account. <laughs> and then the Red Army came and wanted her to start a TikTok what account. What was her name? McLakely? Malakely. Malakely. And her mom's name was Cortland. <laughs> I am daughter of Cortland and Oxen. <laughs> and then the hype house from TikTok showed up and they had, and they had a dance off and freaking. Niall from One Direction jumped off a plane and died from mad cow disease. But then he ended up coming back to life? They hinted at them being vampires at one point, but then did not elaborate on that anymore. Yes. So Liam had something red on his teeth, and I looked away. <laughs> it was probably just something he had ate earlier. <laughs> da, da, da. I don't know. There's not that, but <laughs> so funny. McLakely. McLakely. Don't lie to me. That is not your real name. That's a stupid <laughs> name. That is really my name. I am daughter, daughter of Cortland and Oxen. <laughs> They're so funny. 
Like, <laughs> <laughs> let me write another one about <laughs> uh, Stockholm syndrome. Freaking Stockholm syndrome, and Harry killed Liam, and then professed his love for the girl he kidnapped and tortured. And tortured. And she's like, "I love you too." And then her mom was like. Yeah, I'm not going to call the authorities. She if was, he's nice to you, you can hang out with she, him. The mom was like, yeah, he was mean to you in the beginning, but he let you go, so you can go over there again. My mom laughed, and that's how it ended. <laughs> <laughs> that one was serious, that one which is was, funny. It was bad, but it was, like, funny because somebody wrote it seriously. Yeah, well, the other one, they were definitely giving around, but it was so funny. <laughs> oh, I love those. <laughs> Kidnapped by One Direction. <laughs> I was showing her some of the titles of the other. It's like recommended for you now that we were reading those, and it was like, um, The Vampire King, and then in parentheses, One Direction. <laughs> it was like kidnapped by werewolves. Imagine being in One Direction. A One Direction fan fiction. <laughs> Be like reading that stuff about yourself. If I was famous, seriously though, I would try to look up all the crazy fan fictions that there were about me. Uh, yeah, I would too. I don't think it, no one's write, written more than one direction. At least we don't know about him. But you always hear about how people write um, fan fictions about one direction. Like, there's so many of them. Um, if anybody listening would like to write a fan fiction of me and Aaron, we'll read it. We, we would read it. We would read it. If you slid in, into our DMs. Um, in case you're curious, I have emerald green eyes. I have... Not aquamarine eyes. I don't know what color my eyes are. Mine are not emerald. That's just the best word. That, that's just the first uh, word that came to my mind. And then I thought sapphire. Sapphire. I don't even know what color are my eyes. They're like... Yours are like yellow right now. Are you a reptile? What? My eyes are... Is it the lighting? They're like light blue yellow. Mm. Oh, when you look that way, they looked really yellow. Aaron has cat eyes. What? <laughs> Do I really? When you look that way, they looked yellow, yes. I gotta take a picture of my... <laughs> She's taking a picture. I don't think I'm... When you looked that way, it literally... Okay, what color are my eyes? They were like... Not like army green, but like... Army green? Army green olive eyes. Or army and mix of... I have... A twist of olive green. I have army and a twist of olive green eyes. (laughs) Aaron has cat eyes. (laughs) Aaron has Easter egg eyes. They're blue and yellow. They're very pale blue. I'm a baby blue? Kind of. No, it's not like that sort of blue. Pale, ugly blue. They're not ugly. Uh, They're pretty. I I like your eyes. eyes. They always look different. Anyway, because (laughs) eyes are are very important in fan fiction. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Their eyes. They talk about their eyes every five seconds. Like when they say orbs. (laughs) 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 My light blue orbs. I was kind of sad that Niall came back to life because now I wasn't the only one (laughs) with aquamarine blue eyes or whatever. (laughs) Because the one where Niall died of mad cow disease, he came back to life. And then it was like, I was happy to see him, but I was also sad because now I was not the only one with aquamarine blue eyes. Yeah. (laughs) So funny. Those are stupid. Um. Well, that was seven minutes of us talking about One Direction (laughs) fan fiction. It's gone for so long. 
I just, just please do it if you really need a laugh like my parents are gonna not my parents probably well maybe my dad will be like well it's one direction no nah, <laughs> I think he knows one direction but um yeah oh also I'm leaving for college again tonight and I am so tired like I think I might have to take a nap before I go and I leave in just a couple of hours and um so we better hurry up so yep. she can take a nap yep I also fall asleep on the way there that would be very bad yes all right so let's get started then okie dokie um, I'm first today, and I am doing The Wild Party. Have you ever heard of that? I've heard of it. I have no idea what it's about. All right, so, act one. Ooh, I got chills. Sorry. They're multiplying. And I'm losing oh my control. Gosh. Actually, I should probably not say this yet. Never mind. I'll talk about it after Brianna gets married, or when the episode will be released after she's married, because I got something I got to tell you, but I don't know if it's a secret or not, and they'd also enjoy it, but apparently I'm not I don't know if I'm supposed to say it yet or not. Okay. So, sorry, that just made me think of something. Okay, anyway, act one. In the roaring 1920s... Oh, I already started this off wrong. <laughs> it's... It's, <laughs> it's not the it. first word. <laughs> okay, let's try this again. Rewind, 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 wind, wind, wind. Don't. Oh, yeah. I remember that night, I just might. Rewind. I remember that night, I just might. Rewind. I remember that night, I just might. Rewind. 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 Okay, anyway, act one. It's the roaring 1920s, and the beautiful young Queenie, although she tries, cannot find a lover able to satisfy her desires until she meets Burrs, which is pretty ironic considering we were just singing a song from Hamilton, but that's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> until she meets Burrs. A vaudevillain clown with a ferocious appetite for women. Both Queenie and Burrs have now met their emotional and sexual match. Okay. Alrighty, here we go. Let's keep going. For a while, they live happily together. However, the relationship eventually sours. Burrs' violent nature, which once thrilled Queenie, now scares her. Still, she longs to generate the same excitement that brought them together. She suggests a party, and Burr agrees. Um, I guess I probably should have put a disclaimer. This show has some um, mature content in it. We're going to need to put a disclaimer on this. Disclaimer. Okay, anyway, <laughs> moving on. I'm going to forget. The party begins with a parade of guests. Madeline the lesbian, Eddie the thug, Mae the dimwit, Jackie the dancer, lover brothers, Diarmerno, Dolores the hooker, and the dime the minor. And then the song is called What a Party. <laughs> hmm. Although Queenie radiates beauty and confidence, Burr preys on other women. He makes his move on the youngest guest, Nadine. Despite her casual rep reprimand of his behavior, Queenie wants to hurt Burrs in return. The vivacious Kate arrives with her new friend, Mr. Black. Queenie, quite taken by Black, plans to make her move on him. Kate drags him away to meet the other guests. Queenie's plans are momentarily undermined. The, parties, or the party continues. Burr hits on Kate. Madeline hits on Nadine. Eddie chugs beer and almost fights with Burrs. During the chaos, Black finds himself equally as taken by Queenie as she would him, much to the jargon of hate. Kate, not hate. <laughs> oh, Kate. As revenge, Kate plans on seducing Burrs. Meanwhile, in the corner of the room, Madeline is in a drunken stupor and on the prowl for a woman with very little success. Although Queenie is fully aware that Burrs will threaten her physically, she makes her move on Mr. Black, easily getting him to dance with her. Burrs watches them, his his ire rising. Unsuccessfully, Kate tries to get Burrs to dance. Then to defuse the situation, Kate takes Queenie out of Mr. Black's arms and dances with her instead. 
Burr's violent reaction against Mr. Black and Queenie is prohibited by the whole company dancing the juggernaut. I'm not really sure what that is. Do you know what that is? <laughs> no idea. Maybe a 1920s dance. Yeah. At its end, Mr. Black and Queenie are together again. To get the reaction he wants from Queenie, Burrs grabs Nadine, the miner, and makes out with her. This enrages Kate, who throws Nadine to the ground by her hair. Madeline rushes to aid Nadine. Burrs cuts into Mr. Black and Queenie's dancing. Managing to have her to himself, Burrs tells Queenie to stay away from Mr. Black. Laughing at him, Queenie says she will do whatever she chooses. He twists her arms. Her one arm, not both. They are interrupted by Oscar and Phil at the piano. Not sure who those guys are. (laughs) Those are kind of random. Like, hey guys. Burrs releases Queenie, seeing that too many people are watching. Burrs and Queenie join Oscar and Phil's epic musical number based on the story of Adam and Eve. Burrs plays Adam and Queenie Eve. Their number is interrupted by a discontented neighbor. Eddie and May yell insults to the man, and the crowd goes wild. The two celebrate their togetherness. Suddenly, Mr. Black approaches Queenie and pointedly asks why she stays with an abusive brute. She reflects on her situation and comes to the conclusion that perhaps she has just learned to like the aggressive treatment. Elsewhere, Kate is attempting to seduce Burrs. He refuses her advances and expresses his deepest, darkest feelings for Queenie. She is driving him crazy. Kate tries to kiss Burrs, but he pushes her away. Black kisses Queenie, and she embraces him. And that's the end of Act 1. This is kind of giving me vibes from the fan fiction. Honestly, same. <laughs> from the one with the Stockholm Syndrome. Loki, same. Okay. Maybe we were reading fan fictions for too long. Yeah, now I'm going to see it everywhere. I'm going to see someone <laughs> with blue eyes, I'm like, you have aquamarine. Aquamarine <laughs> <laughs> Orbs. <laughs> Why do they call eyes orbs? I just oh, no. don't get Okay. Okay, act two. The party rages on. Kate is alone and reflecting on her youthful indulgence. Alone in the bathroom, Queenie is taking stock in her predicament. Although she's angry that she has confided in Black, a virtual stranger, she recognizes his goodness. This both stirs and confuses her feelings. Black enters the bedroom with a drink. Bathroom with a drink. The two share a moment as Black conveys his admiration for Queenie. Suddenly, Burrs comes in seeking Queenie's attention. He apologizes for his behavior and asks her for forgiveness. Before she can respond, Kate arrives. She unsuccessfully tries to draw Burrs back onto the dance floor. Both men pull for her affection and devotion. Mr. Black asks Queenie to leave the apartment with him. Burrs asks her to stop the party and let them return to their isolation. Queenie is unable to respond to either man. Frustrated and hurt, Burr lashes out by physically threatening her. His outburst causes Queenie to leave the bathroom, and Black quickly follows. It is clear that Burrs is quickly becoming desperate and depressed. Soon after, he begins to hallucinate and hears Queenie's voice in his head. Thinking May is Queenie, he mistakenly attacks her and angers Freddy. A fight ensures. Mr. Black and Queenie return to find Eddie viciously beating Burrs. Queenie is afraid that Burrs will be killed if this is not stopped. Out of concern, Black rushes in and knocks Eddie unconscious with a chair. May tends to Eddie and Kate comes into the aid of a passed out Burrs. Realizing all of the trouble he is causing, Mr. Black tells Queenie that he will leave. Queenie, however, cannot let him go and leads him into the bedroom. In a moment of passion, the two begin making love. The party guests follow suit in the living room. All right. This really is a wild party. <laughs> this is like, it's hard for me to keep up because they just keep like... I know, so much is going on. <laughs> the next, er, early the next morning... The revealers lie asleep in the living room, and Jackie dances for the last time before he departs. I'm actually not sure who Jackie is, but okay. Kate wakes Burrs, who is beside her. Queenie is strikingly absent. Burrs, fearing the worst, staggers to the bedroom to find her in bed with Black. 
When the two lovers wake, Queenie recoils in shock. Black jumps up and attempts to tackle Burrs, but fails. Burrs moves to the dresser and locates a gun. Full of rage, he facilitates between trying to force Queenie to make a choice between the two men and threatens to kill Black, Queenie, or himself, claiming that when one of them dies, whoever it is, it will satisfy him. Black, who realizes that Burrs is about to make a decision, takes the chance and lunges at Burrs. The gun goes off. Burrs is dead. Fearing that Mr. Black will now be executed for the death, Queenie urges him to flee. Before leaving, Black professes his love for her. Queenie, now having lost both men, questions how things managed to reach that point of loss. She exits the apartment with her coat, all eyes upon her sad, beautiful grace. And that's it. Oh my god, I feel like we need like a sequel. This one was like kind of that was kind of crazy. It was wild. That's why it's called the wild, the wild party. party. I know. I know it's called that, but I just kept thinking that the whole time. I'm like, this is wild. I'm like, that's where the name comes from. <laughs> yeah. Poor Queenie. Yeah. That was a rough. Every, a lot happened in one night. Like. Yeah. I was like, this would be a little too much for me to handle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it. I can't say I didn't like it. I just don't know if I would choose to go see that musical over some other options yeah i kind of want to see it though and see what the music's like too and like i don't know also it's in the 1920s so that could be really cool but it's uh, very scandalous for the 1920s no the 1920s were scandalous yeah but oh even more so yeah that's what i'm thinking oh i don't the 19 i don't know the 1920s were pretty whack but not that it, it wasn't necessarily accepted, though. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, like, oh, yeah. It was crazy. It's like, that yeah. probably would happen, but, like, it was, like, not accepted and stuff. It's like her sleeping with another man that wasn't her husband, because were they married or just dating? Regardless, she was cheating, and yeah. there was, like, a huge, like, orgy going out in the living room. Yes. It's kind of crazy. Yes. It was wild. Wild. Because <laughs> it was the wild party. No. <laughs> don't. Don't. Go wasting your emotions. I was gonna say, don't go chasing wild That works too. Okay. I love that song. Okay. So, everyone, I've done so much research on this musical. I picked it like three weeks ago, and I'm so excited. I just pulled this up today for the first time. I, I was really know. about to say, are you, should <laughs> I call you out for lying? Or are you gonna I just literally go just, like, don't know. Luckily, there's already going to be a disclaimer on this video, so I don't have to, like, warn you guys. But this could be kind of crazy. This could be um, explicit. Wild. Well, shut up. <laughs> it could be. It's called The City of Angels. Um, yeah, I just got it today. So, the setting is Hollywood in the late 1940s. With, with two stories occurring simultaneously, a Hollywood comedy and a detective drama. Their real-life scenes feature full-color full sets and costumes while the movie scenes are in black and white. Most of the cast, with exception of the actors playing Stein and Stone, double as characters in the real world and their fictive counterparts. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Okay, have a go. Act 1. Stone... A tough Los Angeles private eye lies on a hospital gurney with a bullet in his shoulder and a lot on his mind. He flashes back to a week earlier when his loyal girl Friday. Is that her name? Girl Friday? What is, what is girl? No. What does girl Friday mean? Her name's Uli. I don't know. Girl Friday? I'm not sure. Girl Friday secretary? 
Uh, it's an idiom to describe a faithful servant or one's right hand man. Okay. Ah, that makes more sense. Okay, now I have to find this. <laughs> okay, secretary Uli ushered in a rich, beautiful woman named Alora. I think that's her name. Alora claims she wants Stone to find her missing stepdaughter, Mallory Kingsley, a beautiful bad girl. <laughs> nice. It says, but it says bad in like quotations. I don't know. Against his better judgment, he takes the case. A man at a typewriter appears on stage, and Stone and Alora suddenly back up in a song called Rewind. So I guess it's like rewinding. Rewind. I know that's really weird. I saw that. And I was like, How many times are we going to have references to Hamilton? Or just singing in general. And play the scene with a few changes. The man at the typewriter is Stein, author of the popular detective no- novel City of Angels, which is which he is adapting into a screenplay at the behest. behest? So this is really like a giant fourth wall break, yeah. it sounds like. Yes. There's a movie going, yeah. Okay. Okay. Of Hollywood producer-director Buddy Fiddler. His wife, Gabby, has misgivings misgivings and wishes that he would stick to novels, but for now, Stein is enjoying the ride. We begin to see the interplay between reality and fiction as Gabby in the real world and Uli in the story within the story lament how their men won't listen to them. Stone, alone in his dreary bungalow, is listening to the radio. Jimmy Powers and the Angel City for our singing. You gotta look out for yourself. Okay. Two thugs break down his door, beat him up, and knock him out. Cut to Buddy. And it cuts to Buddy Fiddler reading this scene in the screenplay. We can see that his secretary, Donna, is the model for Uli, and that Buddy can't help meddling with everything. <sighs> this is confusing. Okay. Stone is rudely awakened by Lieutenant Munoz who was Stone's partner on the force, but now bears him a major grudge. Once, Stone loved a low-rent lounge singer named Bobby, whom Stein based on Gabby, but Bobby wanted stardom more than marriage, and when Stone caught her with the Hollywood producer, which is based on Buddy, uh, tempers flared, a gun went off, and the producer was killed. Munoz has never forgiven Stone for getting away with murder. Hmm. Stone, angry after the beating, confronts Alora at her mansion and meets several more unsavory characters, including her lustful stepson, her polio-stricken elderly husband, and his quack doctor. <laughs> Greed and malice hover like smog, but Alora's charms and bankful keep Stone on the case. He fruitless, fruitlessly pursues the missing Mallory in a scene that recalls a film montage, only to find her waiting naked in his bed. Oh, Stone somehow manages to resist temptation, which is more than can be said for his creator. After Gabby returns to New York, Stein takes comfort in Donna's bed. Oh, we're not even to act two yet. Okay. This is a lot. A photographer breaks into Stone's bungalow and snaps a picture of him with Mallory. She runs off with with his gun, which is subsequently used to murder the quack doctor. (laughs) Stone is framed for the killing. Munoz gleefully arrests him. Stein is having a lousy time of it, too. Buddy is er, butchering his script. His conscience is nagging him about his infidelity, and Stone, his own creation, is disgusted with him. Uh, The curtain falls with each of them arguing to a swinging big band accompaniment, You're Nothing Without Me. Mm. That's that's act one. Now we're into act two. Jeez, okay, keep going. Um, In a recording studio, 
Jimmy Powers and the Angel City Four are singing Stay With Me, which then becomes a record playing in a bedroom that looks like Alora's, but actually belongs to Car- Carla Haywood, Buddy's wife, who will play Alora in the movie. Stone languishes, languishes in jail, attended only by Uli, who, like her alter ego, Donna, is feeling used by men. Stone is mysteriously bailed out, but the two hoods catch up with him and nearly blow him up before he neatly turns the tables. Stein has troubles of his own. Lo- no, they all have a lot of troubles. Lonely <laughs> at a Hollywood party of buddies something. Don't know what that word is. Um, including a Hollywood composer. Um, Stein phones home only to find that Gabby has discovered that he cheated on her. He flies to New York with an elaborately prepared excuse, but she's not buying it. Stone, fighting to clear his name, is led to a brothel where he is stunned to find Bobby. We learn that it was she who shot the producer. Stone has been covering for it all this time. Together, they face the wreckage of their love. In Hollywood, Stein is approached by a young starlet, Avril, who will be playing Mallory. She begs him to reconsider killing off Mallory near the end. He says he'll think about it. Uli, meanwhile, has discovered that Alora is a fortune hunter who has already murdered one rich husband and is planning to do the same, or do away with this one. Once she had eliminated his son, a daughter, and doctor, she tried to get her stepson, Peter, to kill the doctor and Mallory, but he couldn't bring himself to kill. Stone confronts her at the mansion. They grapple for the gun. Shots ring out, and Alora falls dead. Stone is gravely wounded, and we're back where we started. <laughs> Jeez. I'm so, this is so much. Okay. But where does that leave Stein? That's what it says. Gabby has rejected him and his lover Donna has been rewriting his script. Stein faces the collapse of his real and fictive, 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 fictive world. Okay. And as his emotions take over, his wit turns bitter. When Stein arrives on the movie set to find that Buddy's name appears above his on the screenplay and that the shallow crooner, Jimmy Powers, will play Stone, Stein boils over. With the real Stone, his conscience finally leads him to make the right choice. He rages at Buddy, gets himself fired, and is about to get beat up by two security guards when Stone somehow appears at Stein's typewriter and writes him the fighting skills of a superhero then tacks on a Hollywood ending, in which Gabby returns forgiving all. Together they celebrate as the curtain falls. (laughs) My brain is exploding. My brain's exploding more. I'm going to have to listen to this to understand what happened. I think I understand what happened, but it is so complex. It is. Well, it's because there's two stories. There's two stories, uh, there's a fourth wall break, like, really big, and it's just... Sometimes the two stories don't do the same thing. Yeah. Goodness. I mean, it was really good. I would go see it. I would want to see it. I want to listen to this music, too. I think it was, like, it's supposed to be, like, during the 1940s, so it would be kind of cool. I feel like it's definitely a musical that you would need to watch more than once to understand. Yeah. Like, I it's agree. one of those things, like, you're going to miss something the first time you see it. Like, it's just, it seems so complex. Like, the person who wrote it, though. Their brain. Genius. <laughs> Dang, City of Angels. Oh, the believe it, I forgot what I had to do with City of Angels. That's way, it's only mentioned right, like, in the beginning, beginning. <laughs> I'm so confused. It was good. It was good. I, um... Wow. 
I'm just also, like, tired, so it's hard for me to comprehend. But, like, I think, I yeah, I think even if I wasn't, I'd still be, like, oh. There was just, like I said, a lot that went on. And it yeah. did not help that there was, you know, a fourth wall and characters playing doubles. And also and- Stone and Stein. They really had to make their names that similar. <laughs> I would always forget who's who, but... So, yeah, that is City of Angels. Would recommend that one. Maybe not so much Wild Party, but would recommend City of Angels. <laughs> Maybe Wild Party would be... Well, no, it would be probably a little too scandalous for many people's liking. But I'm not liking. Yeah. But, but the it's, story but was interesting, though. The whole point of this is to, to go out of our comfort zone. That's true. And then there's us not drinking coffee. And we're not drinking coffee. I really just do not want to drink coffee, though. I'm not feeling it. Sorry. If you're wanting some coffee right now, like, go... Do that. Be Drink happy. it for us, and then Drink. pretend like that's what we're drinking. Yes. Also, there's also not going to be coffee next episode. Because <laughs> we're recording that one right after this one. I wonder, does my voice sound low to you? Does it sound weird? Or maybe it's just because I'm in the microphone. I think you sound fine. Okay. It, if I'm like, like since I was at like the wedding yesterday and everything, like I used my voice a lot, and now it's just like, uh, you sound wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. You come and follow me. Dude, some of those church songs are bops. Like, I was oh, kind of up there. I like, am so happy right now because, okay, so do you remember, did you do anything with Easter Vigil Mass two years ago? Were you there? Like, the mass, uh, the I, big mass that Karen Heath had? Yes, like, yeah. You know how I sang that exultant? It was like 15 minutes long. I think so. I was, that is... It was the hardest song I have ever had to learn. It was insane. It took me months to learn it. Like, and like this was. Like, oh, I remember this. Yeah. And this was like working on it like constantly. It's like it was insane. Like it was like a whole bunch of songs mixed. Like it wasn't a whole bunch of songs. Like it was one song, but the rhythm and the beat and the music and the time signature and the tempo like it changed like seven times. It was literally insane, and I really. But like once I learned it, it was one of the most like, awesome things that I had like, yeah. learned to do, and I was so proud of myself. And I didn't get to sing it last year because coronavirus happened and everything was shut down. Oh, yeah. So this year, because it, it's getting close to Easter again, so I was talking with Karen Heath, who's the one who organizes it, and she was Alexis Heath's mother, actually, because we've talked about Alexis. Yes, this is correct. This is Alexis's mother. <laughs> we love both of them. They're amazing. Anyway, so I was and talking geniuses, with... geniuses. They are both <laughs> We were talking... I was talking with Karen, and I was asking her about it, and she was like, oh... Well, she said, I would love for you to sing it, but the deacon is not sure if he wants it sung this year because he thinks he may just want to speak at all, which is what they used to do until Father Jim, which was one of our priests, he was like, oh, I would really like it to be sung. So that's when I sung it. But now he's like, well, Father Jim's not here anymore, so I think he might want to speak it. And I was like, and it's just, I like church. I do. But sometimes when there's something that goes on for 20 minutes that's monotone, it's just very hard to sit through. Um, when it is, why would you want that rather than the singing? When it's sung in this really exciting, like, 15-minute song. That's, that's so much better. So she was like, I'm going to try to talk to him. But she texted me yesterday and said that she talked with the deacon, and he said that we can sing it this year. So I will get to sing it again. Yay! I'm so happy. I Because I literally, oh, it's just, it's... I don't even, I think it's called The Exaltant by Tony Alonzo. And it's very long. Intense. It's very hard. It's very good. I would recommend. Look at you. I know, living my best life. Some, like, like I said, some church music, it's just like. It hits I, different. I really, it does. I, I don't know why. Or even just like singing like church choirs, like harmonies and stuff. It's just like, 
heaven. Well, I mean, kind of. I mean, yes. Like, yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Alrighty. Well, I think that about wraps up today's episode. Yep. And I have nothing else to say. I don't either. But um, we're going to go right into recording the next one. So technically see you next week. But same day for us. Yeah, same day. We'll still be, yep. Still not have coffee. Yep. Okay. See you next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening.